0: Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 76. We said this 10-game road trip the Brewers are currently on could be make or break for the season. It's looking more like make than break right now. 5-2 and through 7 games. Take 3-4 in New York. They may have broken the Mets spirit. We'll talk about that and give sort of a state of the union, a state of the franchise. After last night's win over Max Scherzer, we are through Game 81, exactly halfway through the season. Brewers are tied for first with the Reds as they hit Pittsburgh to wrap up the road trip tonight. The NBA, new league year starts tomorrow. Free agency technically starts tomorrow. Middleton Lopez will be discussing that a little bit more. Also, Giannis is out at the World Cup with knee soreness. That's good news. Talk some golf. Did not get in on the Rocket Mortgage, but I will be at my alma mater this weekend up in Stevens Point for the Senior Open at Century World. And the Jets and Aaron Rodgers on Hard Knocks? Give it to me. Inject it into my veins. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time. Yes. The Brewers yes! win. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25 to the 20. Gordon 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Wisconsin. Record breaking run. We're going to smash up the middle. Face it to He looks, he throws, it's and, it is she's she's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leans in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, as soon as we're done recording this, I am out of here. My wife, Lindsay, bought tickets for her family and myself, of course. I'm a part of the family, too to go up to point for the U.S. Men's Senior Open at Century World, which is a beautiful course I've heard. I went to Stevens Point for my college career from 2002 through 2006, barely made it out in four years. Had to drop a few minors and or majors just to get myself through, get in and out in four years. But despite my being up there for a long, long time, I have never seen the Century World golf course. I've been around Century World. If you're a Sheboygan listener, Century Insurance is a lot like the acuity of Stevens Point. A lot of money up there. I have been on the Century Grounds, but I have not been at the Century World Golf Course. They don't let people like me on that golf course, especially for how bad I am as a golfer, would not let me out there, nor do I want to be. I think I've said this on the podcast. I know I've said it on the air. I'd love to get my golf game to a point where I would be allowed on courses like that. Anytime I get an invite to a high-level golf course, I do think I don't belong there, and I don't want to be there. I don't want to be the guy hacking it up on a beautiful course, destroying a beautiful course. I don't belong there, and I know that. But I've never seen it. And they have shut that thing down. It was shut down pandemic like a lot of things. But golf courses were, for the most part, open during the pandemic. It was like the one thing you could do was go golfing. And I still didn't get good at it. But they were shut down for a while there. Then I want to say they took most of 2021 off. And part of 2022, they have not been open yet this year. This was how they got it. This was how they got the senior open or how they convinced the PGA to have a tournament at Century World by basically saying we're going to shut this whole thing down for a long time because that's how much we care about this. We're going to invest all of our time and energy to make sure the greens are meticulously manicured and everything's going to be just perfect out there. That's one of the reasons they were chosen for this tournament. But I'm excited to get up there. Her dad, my wife's dad, Jerry's a big golf fan, and I think he's already up there now as we're recording this. But we're going to meet him up there tonight and get a chance to walk around the old College John Hots, which are, I have been back up several times since I graduated. It is something to go back to some of those bars that you used to go to, which were now 20 years ago. I'll never forget I went up for a radio reunion. It must have been five or six years ago in August. And the campus radio station Stevens Point, 90 FM, where I worked and volunteered for four years, volunteered for one year, worked there actually for three years as a part of their executive staff. And they had a reunion. They had a reunion weekend where the whole weekend was former staff coming back to do on-air shifts. And I met my one of my friends and the former station manager there, Courtney. I met her up there, and we did a shift together. But we all hung out then for the weekend, and I forgot how cheap it is. It's almost annoyingly cheap <laughs> to drink in college bars. I remember we were at one of my favorite spots. My wife and I made one last stop before we headed back to the hotel to a bar that I went to a ton in point called The Outfit. That's where you could find me. That's where we didn't have a ton of cell phone stuff back in the day. Where's John? Well, probably 80% chance that he is at The Outfit. It was the last bar on the square in Stevens Point. And we went there, and I ordered a beer, and I started a tab. I'm not a cash guy. I started a tab, and I got a point special, which was like 2 bucks. And it became clear. It was 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It was summer. It was not a very well-populated bar. It never really was, which is kind of why I liked it. And I was sipping my beer, and I could tell my wife was tired, and I knew I was tired. It was a little past 10 o'clock already, and I thought, you know what, let's just get out of here. I said, I know I hate to do this to you. Can I just cash out? And the bartender said, well, we do have a $20 minimum if you are running a tab. I thought, okay, we can make it 20 bucks. I mean, when you think of regular bars, if we were in Chicago, that one beer might have covered it. I could have gotten two beers and we would have been out of there. But it was so, so cheap. I thought, okay, I'll get another beer. And my wife got a drink. And then we did maybe another drink. I don't even remember. And it got to be about, we were up to $12 on this $20 tab. It became a quest to get to the tab limit. And there were a couple of college kids there. And as I was halfway through my beer, they ordered shots of tequila. I thought, oh, perfect. I will also have a shot of tequila. I will pay for their shots of tequila, and we will do Patron. We'll do whatever the highest-end tequila you have in this bar. I thought, surely, three or four beers and four shots of whatever the highest-end tequila is will get me to a $20 minimum on a bar tab. So I had to run it. $18.50. Gah! All right. Well, just... Add one more beer and pour it out or drink it or whatever. i got to get out of here. i got to get to bed. It's 11 o'clock. But I do enjoy getting back up there once in a while. It is now where you're almost 40. It's just totally different. It's never going to be the way that it was when you were in school. And you are now the old guy if you're going to college bars, the old guy wandering around. It'll be a little bit different in summer. And it's going to be a crush of people because of how many people will be in town for the tournament. But always fun to get back up there. That's where I'm headed as soon as we're done with this podcast today. I didn't pick a winner for the Senior Open. I was hoping we could do that. Like we've been doing, I did not put money on the Rocket Mortgage. I'm going to wait until the Open Championship, the British Open. Not the the Open Championship, the British Open. I'm going to wait for that one and get back on the major schedule. I did not get involved in the Rocket Mortgage. If there would have been on my book, if there would have been betting odds on the Senior Open, because I'm there, you may as well put a little money on the winner. But that was not available. My book had head-to-head matchups, which I did throw a little bit of money on. You can do that in NASCAR or golf where they'll pick two golfers and they're head-to-head, and then you just take whoever, and if that person has the lower score at the end of the tournament, you win whatever money you put down. A little different than betting on the winner of the top five or the top 10 finish or the top 20 finish. I bet on Stricker to finish better than Patty Harrington, and I bet on Jerry Kelly, the two Wisco boys. I bet on Jerry Kelly. I forget who Kelly was matched up with, but I bet on Jerry Kelly. I'll have to go back and look at the ticket. But I bet on both of them head-to-head. But there was no option on my book for the outright winner of the Senior Open or a top 5 or top 10 or top 20. So I just did a couple of head-to-head matchups. All right, let's talk about the Brew Crew. What a road trip so far. Now, you hate to throw a parade 5-2 and through 7 games on a 10-game trip. You're through two legs. You got two series win, one in Cleveland and winning three out of four in New York you got to feel pretty encouraged, especially with the Mets, even though the Mets are so bad this year, despite having a $500 million payroll, wrap your mind around that. A $500 million payroll for that team, and they are 11 games under 500 and, what, 14 games back in their own division or 15 games back. For as annoyed as some Brewer fans are about the way things have been going the last couple of years and the way last year ended with the trade of Hader and falling apart down the stretch – and some of the issues they've had this year. Imagine that. Imagine having a 500-ish million dollar payroll and being 11 games under 500 and basically out of the division race by the midpoint of the year. Nuts. But even as bad as they're playing, the Brewers going in there And getting three out of four and beating Verlander and Scherzer. I did not have that on my bingo card. So, yeah, you can say if you want to be a pessimist, you can say the Mets have been bad and this is no big accomplishment. It is to go in there and beat those two guys. Verlander has owned the Brewers in his career. He's no hit the Brewers. To beat him and then to beat Scherzer and to get up off the deck in those games. They were down 2-0 last night, and Scherzer's on the hill. And the way the Brewer offense has been going, you're thinking, eh, it's going to be pretty tough to come back. Victor Caratini gets the game-tying two-run bomb. He's been pretty good. Production from the catcher spot for this Brewer team, very solid. Between Contreras and Caratini combined, you've got a guy batting about 260 with 13 or 14 home runs and about 40 runs driven in. That's production you'll take from that spot and way, way better than it was last year from the Brewers. But he gets it tied up. Brian Anderson almost hit a grand slam that would have blown the game up, but ends up being a sack fly. And that gets the Brewers up 3-2. to two. And then the biggest moment last night was Elvis Peguero. We've talked about these guys and how shrewd the moves by Matt Arnold were to get guys like Piguero as a throw-in in the Hunter-Renfro deal to get Yoel Piamps. another scoreless hitting from him last night, as a throw-in in the deal that brought Contreras to Milwaukee. Piguero in the seventh inning with one out and the bases loaded comes into that situation as a young pitcher and he gets the ground ball double play to end the inning. And that's coming off of the miraculous job he did in Cleveland on Sunday to get the save in extra innings through the heart of the order with that zombie runner with the ghost runner on second base. What a revelation he's been. His war right now is .6. Hunter Renfro's war is .3. For the Angels, you've got a double up situation there with a relief pitcher over an everyday player. That's how successful that trade has been. That was the biggest moment, and then Devin Williams' second biggest moment of the night comes on for the save. Bases end up loaded again with two outs, and he gets a strikeout of Marte to end the game, and the Brewers go on to get the series win. Williams gets his 16th save; that is a career high at 15 last year after he took over for Hater. He is 16 of 17. He had the high wire act, but he is on his way to, I would think, a pretty likely all-star appearance. By the way, I still have the list here, I think. We do on B93, we do Brewer Trivia for our trivia segment before 7 o'clock. We give a little something away from a restaurant or whatever every day, Monday through Friday. And we do Brewer Trivia on Fridays during baseball season, Packer Trivia on Fridays during football season. And if the Brewers are bad, we start doing Packer trivia by July as soon as training camp opens. But the Brewers, for the most part, have been pretty good, where you can keep doing Brewer trivia through August or September, getting to that point. But today, it got me thinking Devin Williams, likely the all-star for the Brewers. Maybe Yelly gets in, maybe he doesn't. But Williams, if you get one, everybody gets one, Williams is the guy right now, unless he has three or four just absolute blow-ups before the all-star break, knock on wood. He's likely the guy. And it will be another closer in a Brewer jersey getting an all-star bid, which they have had a lot of over the years. And it got me thinking, and I actually went back and did about 10 minutes of research, which if you know me, you know that's a lot of research to put into a trivia question. 10 minutes of research for a two-minute segment. Not a great ratio there. But it got me thinking, how many all-star closers have there been in Brewer history? Because say what you want about the Brewers – But they always seem to find a guy, and that guy doesn't necessarily last long. We've seen them flame out after a year or two, but they've been very savvy at then finding the next guy to get a year or two out of, to get all-star level closing. That guy burns out, or his deal is up, or he gets traded in Hater's case, but then they find the next guy. It got me thinking how many all-star closers they have had. The answer is 12. In their franchise history, 12 Brewer closers have made all-star appearances. And Devin's likely to be 13. Are you ready for the list? The question was the total. And we got that. I wonder how many out there, how many Brewer degenerates or diehards could actually list the 12 closers that have been all-stars. Williams likely to be 13. Here we go. You ready? Raleigh Fingers makes total sense. Of course, Hall of Famer, MVP. He was a two-time Brewer all-star. After that, Dan Plesak, who is the saves leader in franchise history, looked like hater was going to get past him. Plesak has 133 saves, and hater has 125. We thought for sure hater was going to get past him, but with the trade, obviously not going to happen. Plesak had two all-star appearances. The next one is Bob Wickman. Remember, Bob Wickman in the year 2000, all the way to the year 2000. He was an all-star one time and then was, I think, a part of the trade that brought Richie Sexton to Milwaukee, maybe? He was an All-Star. Then in 04, Dan Kolb. Remember Dan Kolb? He made the All-Star team in 2004. I would guess he was the only Brewer All-Star that year. Every once in a while, it hasn't happened recently, one of my favorite games to play when I go to a baseball game or any sports game is to find the most random jersey that somebody has. A few years ago, we saw a Dan Kolb All-Star jersey, and I thought, my God, is that Dan Kolb? That might be Dan Kolb. But Dan Kolb was an all-star. I have to be the last person on planet Earth that was on Dan Kolb's Wikipedia page, correct? Right? That has to be true. Some of the different pages I was clicking on just to find these guys and find out if they made all-star games. I cannot imagine who the last person was on the Dan Kolb Wikipedia page before me this morning. Then once Dan Kolb flamed out, we had Francisco Cordero. I forgot about Coco Cordero. He came over in... Or no, after Kolb was Turnbow. After Kolb was Turnbow for a year, he was electric, and then he flamed out the middle of the next year, but he was an all-star in 2006. Remember, Derek Turnbow, too, had the most weird bobblehead in the history of bobblehead giveaways at AmFam Field at Miller Park. He had the bobblehead where they tried to put weird doll hair, like actual hair, not plastic hair, real hair on it. Weird. He was a one-time All-Star. Then he burned out the next year. Then Coco Cordero. I forgot about Francisco Cordero in 07-08. He was really good. He had a 44-save season for that 2007 team that just missed the playoffs. They were in first place all year. Stop me if you've heard that before. They were in first place all season and then ran out of juice at the end of it. But he had 44 saves and a sub-3 ERA that year. His contract just expired, and he went to Cincy, and he was really good in Cincy, too. He was an All-Star in 07, then Hells Bells. Trevor Hoffman came for two years. He was an All-Star in 2009. Sort of like Turnbow, he had one great year and then fell apart early the next year. That paved the way for the Man, John Axford. One of the great reliever seasons ever was Axford's 2011. He blew only one save, had 46 of 47 saves, set the franchise record. He got Cy Young votes that year. Then he flamed out. Then the guy they brought in to set up Axford, K-Rod. Remember K-Rod? Devin Williams has a little K-Rod to him where K-Rod was always that way. He would come on for a save. He'd get the first out. Then he'd walk a guy. Then he'd hit a batter. Then a bloop single. And then somehow he'd get out of it. But K-Rod was the eighth inning guy for Axford in 2011. Then when Axford fell apart, he took over the closer job. Then they traded him, then he came back, and then he was a closer again. He maybe came back three times, K-Rod. He was a two-time Brewer All-Star. Corey Canable was an All-Star in 2017 before he got hurt. Jeremy Jeffress took over. He was an All-Star in 2018 before he fell apart. And then Josh Hader was a three-time All-Star before they traded him last year. What a roller coaster that list is. It's just amazing they've always found a guy though you have to tip your cap to it they always they lose an all-star closer or a guy implodes on himself like a dying star the next year but they always seem to find a guy not just to fill the role but to get to an all-star level and devin will be lucky number 13 this year but williams gets the save last night that gives them 3 of 4 in new york after 2 of 3 in cleveland they are 5 and 2 on the 10 game trip remember we said when the trip started was that last friday then last friday's podcast I said given where the Brewers were at, especially offensively, a three-city, ten-game trip with some of the competition they were facing, Verlander and Shane Bieber and Scherzer, I said 5-5 five and five I'd take. Well, they already have that. Now, don't settle. Don't get swept in Pittsburgh and have this whole thing fall on its face. But they already have that secured even if they were to get swept by the Pirates. I don't see that happening. But at 5-2, and two, they've already got the 500 road trip secured. What a trip it's been so far for this team. The one blemish was, of course, a lefty, Drew Peterson, with an 8 ERA. A left-handed pitcher that did them in on, what day was that, Tuesday? And that was the only bad start we've seen from Julio Tehran. He had three perfect innings and then gave up a couple of home runs, then gave up another home run. I think he gave up four on the day. He's not going to be perfect. His ERA is still 2.85 coming out of that blow-up start. His first six starts in a Brewer jersey were magnificent. Of course he's going to have a bad start at some point, and he had that in the only loss in New York. And Mets fans, by the way, are (laughs) just going off the rails. The tension at Citi Field, they are so quick to boo. And, I I mean, you get it, like we talked about. A $500 million payroll, You're entertaining visions of a pennant, of a World Series run, of a championship, and then for the team just to never even get on track at all so far this year I guess they could still if they can run off 10 of 15 or 10 of 12 or 12 of 15 you could get yourself back to 500 remember the year the Nationals won the pennant or won the World Series in 2019 they were well below 500 not this late in the year I don't think but at one point they were 13 or 14 games under before they fully turned it around given the talent level they should be able to at least get it together a bit there's still a lot of season left 50% of the year but man, you can just feel the mood is tense in New York. Steve Cohen's holding press conferences. You gotta wonder if Buck Showalter's gonna get fired. Some of the crowd shots last night of people just screaming <laughs> at the Mets team. The Brewers maybe broke their spirit. The Brewers might have been it. They may have been the straw that broke the camel's back with this four-game set in New York. But the Brewers get the win. They're forty-three and thirty-eight. The Reds were idle yesterday, so now the rec, now the total games played is even. And they're tied for first in the NL Central. With that said, let's give a real quick state of the franchise through Game 81. And I was texting one of my best buddies from college, Nick, about this last night after the win. I realized that expectations have changed. For the better, it's good. It's good that expectations have changed in Milwaukee because we were talking about if this kind of a team that's been through the injuries they've been through and the unproductive offense, and the guys that you were counting on to be good not being all that good, like Burns ERA over four, Peralta ERA over four. With all of that, for this team to still be in a first-place tie 15 years ago, we would have loved this team. The enthusiasm and fan field would have been sold out. You know what I mean? It just feels like after we've been on this run now where there's been some success – They broke up the 26-year drought in 08, and they made the NLCS in 2011. They fell apart in 2014, but then in the Stearns Council era, back in the playoff chase in 2017, NLCS in 2018, playoffs in 19, 20, and 21, and obviously we know what happened last year. But now that the franchise has become more accustomed in the last 10-ish years to being above 500, to being a winning team, to being a playoff team, I feel like this kind of team that's overcoming a lot of odds that would have been a team we were in love with 15 or 20 years ago, because the expectations have shifted, it doesn't feel like there's that enthusiasm right now. But there should be. If you were have to told me before the year that Corbin Burns would have an ERA over four, at the midway point, John, it's whatever day it is. It's March. It's late March. John, On after game 81, on June 30th, this team will have Corbin Burns with an ERA over four. Freddie Peralta with an ERA in the mid-fours. Eric Lauer will be so bad that he'll be sent down to AAA Nashville for an extended period and still has not returned. They will have lost their center fielder for the year. They'll have lost at times their shortstop, left fielder, right fielder, and third baseman. And with all of that, and they're the third worst offense in baseball, just sprinkle that on top too. With all of the injuries and the guys not having the career years we need them to have. Let's just sprinkle on top of there. They have the third worst offense in the league. Third worst offense in the league. Corbin ZRA is over four. Peralta ZRA is over four. Lowers in the minor leagues. Brandon Woodruff has only made two starts this year. Where do you think they'll be, John? What do you think? What place do you think they'll be in on June 30th? There isn't a single person on planet Earth that's a Brewer fan that would say that they are five games over 500 and tied for first. That's why I laugh anytime I see criticism of counsel. And you can criticize the manager by all means on a game-to-game basis. It's a long baseball season. He's going to have spots where he leaves a pitcher in too long or goes to the bullpen too early or whatever. There are going to be little things like that. But these are small things in a pool of a ton of success, just little droplets of dirt in a pool that for the most part in the council era has been crystal clear. The people that want council gone, I will never be able to wrap my brain around it. He has done so much with so little, with a small payroll, with injuries. He has a team that hasn't gotten the production from their star players that they need and all the injuries, and he has them tied for first on June 30th. It is remarkable. I don't know what Council's going to do at the end of this year. It's still very weird to me that there's been no talk of an extension. I know there are rumors. There have been rumors this week that he's going to follow Stearns to New York. I don't think that's going to happen. Everything that I've heard is that the Stearns mentality and the Council mentality don't necessarily mesh, even though they had a lot of success with the two of those guys. For that reason, I don't believe the Council would follow him to New York I don't think Council really wants to manage right now anywhere other than Milwaukee. If he's not the manager of the Brewers next year, he's probably taking a sabbatical to watch his kids play college baseball. That's the number one rumor I've heard. And his kid right now is playing in Sheboygan, one of them. Jack Council's playing for the A's this summer. But he has one kid at Minnesota in a sophomore year, and Jack Council will be at Michigan next year in his freshman year. And there have been rumors that he just wants to spend some time watching his kids play ball. And obviously when you're managing a professional baseball team, that gives you very few opportunities to go see your kids play high school ball or college ball. Remember the Brewers had a random off day when Jack council's whitefish Bay team won the state tournament. My feeling is that if he's not the brewer manager next year, he's taking a break, whether he would just come back to the Brewers. I could see a situation like that where council takes two years off and gets to watch his kids play college ball. And Pat Murphy becomes the manager for a couple of years. And then council is right back at the front of this team in 2025. I just don't see him anywhere else. But I would love to see counsel on a team that spends the money, that has the superstar players, that'll put up a $250 million payroll because what he's been able to do with some of the random guys, the Julio Terrans of the world and Wade Miley, you know, some of the random people they've got off the scrap heap with a low payroll, what he's been able to do with that, imagine what he could do if he were in New York or he were on a team that has a – Two hundred and fifty, or three hundred, or five hundred million dollar payroll, but I don't see him leaving the team to go to another team. I could see him leaving to take a break and maybe coming back, or maybe just retiring altogether and just fading away, fading off into running off into the sunset. But I just I cannot understand the fans out there that think Council is a bad manager and they want him gone. And there are plenty of fans looking toward next year if he's with another team, which he's not going to be, or if he's taking a sabbatical. And they're looking forward to that. I've seen that on Brewer Twitter. Good. Get rid of him. Thank God he's going to be gone. You guys are nuts. You're brain dead. You are insane if you want Craig Council off this team or you think this team is going to get better without Craig Council. Be careful what you wish for. Because not every manager can put together chicken salad with chicken you-know-what. And that's what he's done a lot of the time with this team. 2018, they had a decent payroll and MVP player. 2019, they had a decent decent payroll and MVP player. But in 2020, 2021, last year before the front office deep-sixed him by getting rid of his all-star closer, he's putting that together like MacGyver. And we're doing it again this year where you're getting quality starts from Colin Ray and Wade Miley, what a pickup he's been, and Julio Tehran, and some of the guys they're plugging in, they're just getting enough runs. A lot of that and the bullpen management is a credit to Craig Council. But at this juncture of the year, given what they've gone through to be tied for first is actually extraordinary. And you just hope they get healthy and make a move and get somebody to spark that offense that they can actually make a real run. Because at some point, you figure Corbin Burns is going to go on a run At some point, you're going to get Woodruff back. You've got to find a way to get this offense more consistent. And I don't know what that means. They had a little part of that yesterday. They brought Terang back up. They sent Luis Arias down. He's been a nightmare at the plate since coming back from the hamstring injury. That was one small move. We've talked ad nauseum about Sal Frey. he's been outstanding for AAA Nashville since he came off of injury. It's got to be only a matter of time before he's in the outfield. But this team has to figure some stuff out. Willie Adamas, you keep throwing him out there. I know the batting average now is 196. It's ugly at the plate. He's still an elite defender. I don't know if there's much you can do about that. I think that's just a guy you've got to throw out there and hope he turns it around. Things you could do something about in the trade market, finding a first baseman, finding a third baseman. I love Rowdy Tellez as a person, as a player. I love chanting Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy. At this point, we have seen a large enough sample size of Rowdy us to know what he is. He's a guy who, if you give him the at-bats, he'll probably hit you 30 home runs. But he's going to hit 220 or 230, and he's going to go through extended cold spells. Like this team overall, he's just wildly inconsistent. And that's not somebody you can have at that spot 150 games a year. They've got to find somebody more consistent at first base. They need to find somebody more consistent at third base. They thought Urias was the guy. Maybe he still can be at some point once he gets fully healthy or gets himself back in shape. Brian Anderson has been good in spots. He's also ultra streaky and inconsistent, a lot like Rowdy is. He had a nice hit last night at the sack fly that put them ahead and almost a grand slam, but he's been ice cold recently. You need to find one or two bats that can give you consistent at-bats and consistent production. A name I have seen out there is Justin Turner. I know he's old. He's on the Red Sox. The Red Sox, despite being 500, are in dead last in the AL East. They're not going to do anything. And Turner's hitting 271 with 11 home runs. He's not the power threat he used to be, but he still makes contact. 271 would be the second-best average on the team behind Yelly if they picked him up tomorrow. If you can get a guy like that, they really have to explore doing something like that. But through Game 81, the state of this franchise is that it's remarkable that they're in the spot that they are given everything that's happened through the first half of the year. They'll continue on with the three-game road trip, a 10-game road trip, last three in Pittsburgh starting tonight. Freddie Peralta on the hill, and they've got Corbin on Saturday and Colin Ray going on Sunday before finally coming home with the Cubs at AmFam Field for Monday, and I think a 4th of July matinee. In the NBA, we'll talk real quick. We've already gone over the Middleton-Lopez thing. Free agency starts tonight. The rumors are that Middleton's probably coming back on a four-year, $130 million deal. People that have no idea what the new CBA means are going to be screaming about that in Facebook comment sections far and wide. How could you give anybody that kind of money? They need to, as they would say in rounders, they need to pay Middleton. Pay him pay that man his money because they have no choice if they don't pay Middleton he walks and they don't get that money to use on anybody else you have to pay Middleton it sounds like 4 years 130 million ish is going to be about what they're going to have to give him which is actually less than i thought i thought it would be 4 years in the 150-160 range 4 120 or 130 is somewhat palatable and then brook lopez There are rumors that he is leaning towards coming back to Milwaukee. may cost a little bit more to get him than you want to pay because there are other teams that are more vying for his services. The Rockets have been connected to him and one other team, too, that could maybe give him a little bit more money. If Brooke takes that deal, he's saying, I'm in the last contract of my career, which he probably is, and I've got my ring, and now it's time to make just a little bit more money than I could Milwaukee. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy to me. That's what the move would be. But just based on what we've seen from Brook and his character and the interviews we've seen and the chemistry with the team, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to say that, hey, I got my ring. I can go make 20 more million in Houston. That's what I'm going to do. I don't think he's going to do that. I think, again, 99% Middleton's back, 95% Lopez is back. Whether that happens right away tonight or tomorrow, I'm not entirely sure. The other news from the NBA was Giannis is sitting out of the basketball World Cup, not the World Cup World Cup, which he could probably play in, but the basketball World Cup because of knee soreness. All I have to say is thank the good Lord that he is actually doing that because one thing that we love about Giannis and that is also hard to swallow about Giannis is his love of his country and his love of playing internationally and representing the country of Greece. It's hard to throw shade at a guy for doing that, but as a Bucks fan... And all the, all the different things he puts his body through, treats it like a rented car during the course of the regular NBA season and the playoffs, he's taking a million hits, he's limping off, he's got wrist problems and knee problems, just gets banged up all year long because of the way he plays. And then for him to go and play internationally a month after that, almost every summer, I always think, oh, God, can we just take a break? Can we just take the whole summer off and get back to 100% fully and not risk major injury in an international game that I know means a lot to him because of the pride of his country, but ultimately doesn't mean a lot to us as NBA fans because we just want him to be the best he can be for the Bucs. So when I saw that news, I thought, thank you. Thank you. It was an early exit. We all know that this year. And now with no World Cup appearance, he's going to have off from what, early May until late October Well, training camp starting in September. I thought that was good news. He has been international for basically every summer since he's been in Milwaukee. This is a good spot for him to fully rest and rejuvenate for next year. And then finally today, the rumors are that our boy Aaron Charles Rogers and the New York Jets are going to be on hard knocks. Please inject it into my veins. The interviews that Aaron Rodgers is going to give, if this is the case, are going to be must-see TV. I can just see a reporter sitting down with him from HBO and asking him, "Oh, what's it been like uh, You know, in New York, new city, new franchise for the first time in your career? And Aaron giving an answer like this. I dreamt I was a dove flying over the sea. And then I dove into the ocean and I swam with the dolphins. I was two animals joined as one, which meant good things are coming. Good things. Uh, okay, man. We we're just trying to see if you were getting comfortable in the new offense. But all right, <laughs> I can just see a bunch of stuff like that the whole way through. Reports are that the Jets do not want to do it. They have already done it. Hard knocks. I used to watch religiously. I have not really in the past few years. I watched the last one. I really watched was the Jets Rex Ryan one because Rex Ryan was such a compelling character. Let's go eat a bleep snack. All of his, all of his football guyisms were so funny and so fun to watch. That's the last one I really watched every minute of every episode. That might have been 2013 or 2014. I did watch a good part of the Cowboys, one they did two years ago, or was it last year? because Just because of Mike McCarthy. But I haven't really sat down and watched every minute of every episode in a long time. That will change if it is the Jets and it sounds like it's going to be. The Jets don't want this to happen reportedly, but they don't really have a choice. There are different stipulations that are put on that. If you don't have a new head coach or you if you didn't make the playoffs last year, that's the pool of teams they select from, and that's where the Jets are. And HBO knows and the NFL knows also you've got an aging Hall of Fame quarterback coming in. There's been so much news around him and the whole McAfee appearance and all that kind of stuff. This is the team that you want for ratings, and I just cannot wait. I can't wait for these episodes to crank up in August. Now, the Packers have avoided successfully hard knocks. Every year, basically, since it's been a thing, because they've either been in the playoffs or they had a new head coach coming in. Those are the two things. If you were not in the playoffs last year and you do not have a new head coach, that puts you on the line for hard knocks. You know HBO wants the Packers to not make the playoffs this year because they're not going to fire LaFleur. So they, if they don't make it this year, they will have not made the playoffs and they'll have a returning head coach, which puts them in that spot where they could be on hard knocks. And again, they've successfully avoided that for so long. But you know HBO wants to crack at the inner workings of Lambeau Field and the publicly owned team. They're drooling at that prospect for next year. But these Aaron Rodgers sit-down interviews are going to be appointment viewing. Jets on hard knocks. That'll do it for us here on your Friday. We have kind of a weird week next week. We have off on Tuesday, and that's it. I know the 4th of July is going to be a weird one where some people are off all week or some people are taking vacation days some companies have off on monday but not tuesday we have off on tuesday so regular podcast monday next week regular podcast on friday if you've got some downtime have a happy safe time we'll chat with you then